0: Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. This is the Burden and Blessing Podcast. And our Bible study segment, we are continuing today in the book of Genesis. We're taking a look at chapter 2 in more depth uh, to see what God teaches us there, to see what we can use from those words to apply to our lives today. I'm Pastor Mark Tiefel, and continuing with me in this study is Pastor Nathaniel Mayhew as we get into Genesis chapter 2. Nathaniel, um, another interesting chapter here that builds on the first, just give us a brief overview of what chapter two talks about.
1: Chapter two is going to back up just a little bit, Mark, and we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it sort of backs up and re-looks at what we have already considered from Genesis chapter one, but from a slightly different perspective. So a lot of times this gives a little bit of confusion to people as we jump into the second chapter. And one of the things that's really helpful, I think, when we start this is, is to remember that the chapter and verse breaks are not inspired. So sometimes and that's not just true in Genesis, that's true all through Scripture that we we see these breaks as being really important. And sometimes the breaks are not in real good places. So we see that with with Genesis chapter one and two. But what we're going to do is we're going to back up where we're going to review a little bit more in depth what God actually did, focusing and keen in on the creation of mankind, which was the last part of what we studied in Genesis chapter one. And then as we look at the concept of the creation of mankind, Adam and Eve, we're going to then also be introduced to a very important topic that's going to come up in the rest of Scripture, and that's the topic of marriage. So we'll talk also a little bit about the doctrine of vocation. That comes up in this account with the creation of mankind as well and what God intends for mankind. So those will be some of the main issues that we're going to take a look at in Genesis chapter 2.
0: So as you mentioned, the, the difference between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is highly debated today, and many people will say that Genesis chapter 2 sort of contradicts what was written down in chapter 1. What evidence in the text do we have that refutes that point and, and supports what you said, that God is taking this from a different perspective? What do we have in chapter 2 that indicates that for us?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of just very, very g- generic things that we see. First of all, when we were going through Genesis chapter 1, we had day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. So the Lord was laying out for us a very, very specific and regimented description, again, very broad, but of what took place on each one of those days. And as I mentioned earlier on, the the chapter break seems a little bit odd with all of that because what, what happens is in chapter 2... We get the last part of that creation account with the last day, the the seventh day in which God rested and reviewed his work of creation. But then in chapter four, and we talked a little bit about this last time, Mark, you have this, this word generations or account, depending on the translation that you have in verse four. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So this, this verse four, really there's a transition point in verse four. That backs us up, and and he's basically telling us, we're going to back up and we're going to review this again, but from a, a slightly different perspective. And then as you go on in the rest of the chapter, especially verses 4 through 14, you you kind of see a review of what we already covered in chapter 1 with what did God do? Well, he planted the things in the field and the animals, so all of those things now come back into into focus, but from a different perspective, instead of day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, we're learning what those things were there for and how they related to the creation of mankind and what, what Adam has to do with all of those things. Adam is going to be tending the garden. He's going to be naming the animals. So we see the, the relationship between those things in the second chapter, as opposed to just seeing what God did on the, the days of creation.
0: Yeah, I kind of look at Genesis chapter 2 in that sense as sort of a flashback of that sixth day of creation. Right. It's not God putting down an eighth day, uh, which contradicts the original sixth day of chapter one, but it's God giving us a different focus and, as you mentioned, a different perspective of that singular day. And we would expect that to be the case if, if mankind is God's most important creation we would certainly appreciate some extra detail about why that is the case. And we see several things come out in chapter two that shows us specifically why men and women are God's preeminent creation. Before we get to some of those aspects, the big story in chapter two, as far as the narrative goes, centers around the two trees that God created in the garden, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just give us a a bit of a summary. Those those trees have been mysterious in in how people understand Genesis chapter 2 since the beginning of of when God recorded this book. But give us a, a summary of that, but also help us understand the bigger question that a lot of people have is why would God design the creation with the potential for fault or sin within it through these trees? Why would God even mess around with that? Can you give us some background on that? Sure. And that is a that is an interesting question. In
1: Genesis chapter 1, we're just told that God created mankind. A very, very, again, generic description. And he does point out, as we talked about in chapter 1, that mankind is the crown of his creation and, and why we know that to be true. He was different in the way that he created him. He was in the image of God. He gave him dominion over creation. But now in Genesis chapter 2, we see God creating a garden to place the man in and one of the things we learn about in this garden first of all he's going to be entrusted with the responsibility of caring for that garden but within that garden god creates all kinds of trees and two of them are pointed to very specifically in chapter two we have this in verses 15 and following in chapter two The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now we're told about two trees, as you pointed out, where there's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and some people make the mistake of saying well one tree was good and the other tree was bad we have to remember wait a second if we back up to the beginning of the chapter we find out that god said that everything that he created was good so there wasn't a problem with the tree itself but rather there was a problem with the use of that particular tree so here here's a here's a a very very basic illustration that I like to use, Mark, for describing this. Imagine you're you're coming home when you're well, maybe you know, sixth or seventh grade, and there's a note on the door on the back of the house as you, you come into the house that says, Do not eat the cookies. Okay, so you walk in the door and you open up the door, and there on the counter right in front of you is this plate of cookies, and they smell delicious. Well, you've seen the note it doesn't mean that cookies are bad, right? It just simply means that there's there's a purpose for those cookies and that's, that you're not intended for them. So I, I think that's one of the things that we have to remember with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that there was nothing wrong with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was simply God telling Adam and Eve for a very specific reason they were not to eat of it. Now, you might have at the bottom of that note, you can eat anything else in the kitchen. And there's maybe another batch of of brownies or something else. All of these other things you can eat. You just can't have this one plate of cookies. And so the question is, why would God do that sort of thing? And the main reason for us to, to, to reflect on that is that God was giving Adam and Eve the opportunity to demonstrate their love for him as a response to everything that god had given to them i mean you look at all of these things in the kitchen any one of them you can eat it doesn't mean that that your your mom hates you because she said you can't eat of this you know plate of cookies. It was just an opportunity for you then to show your love and obedience to your your mother by not eating those one things. Maybe she has them you know intended for something else. So that again that's a very very basic way to understand what is taking place here. But I think it helps us understand number one, there was nothing bad about the tree itself. It was good as we're going to see in the next chapter. The devil even uses that as a temptation. It was good and, and pleasing to the eyes. But still, God said, don't eat of that tree.
0: All of the other trees, God said, you may freely eat, just not of this one. I think that's an excellent point. And we're going to see that come out in chapter three as well, as you mentioned, how it, God created through this an opportunity for them to glorify him in their freedom, in their ability to serve God and to honor his name uh, through this this tree that was set up in this way with this command. You mentioned the purpose that God had for mankind in the garden, and that was to tend and cultivate it. And that gets us into what you mentioned earlier, that what we call the doctrine of vocation. Give us a quick explanation of what the doctrine of vocation is and how we see it come out here in Genesis chapter 2.
1: I think the basic, a basic summary of the doctrine of vocation is simply that God gives to each individual certain gifts and abilities and the doctrine of vocation is using those gifts and abilities in the service of God out of love for God making use of what God has given to us not wasting them but also in the service of your neighbor or the the service of of Christ in a in a broader way so you have a very specific set of gifts mark and your gifts are different than my gifts and those gifts are different than our children's gifts or our spouse's gifts and and yet god gives gifts to everyone and he desires number one that we use those gifts i think about in the new testament jesus told the story or the parable of the talents the the wealthy man who gave three different servants a certain number of talents or gifts and we don't mean talents in the in the english sense but it was a sum of money and the question was what are you going to do with that it's not your money it's entrusted to you it's the master's how are you going to use it and you you remember that the last of those servants took the talent that he had been given and he dug a hole and he buried it and when his master came back he he dug that talent out and gave it back to his master and he said here's the talent that you gave to me uh, it here's this is yours and the master said foolish man if you would have known what kind of a person I am you would have known that I would have expected that talent back with interest. And so what Jesus is telling us there is that he gives us these these things in this life they're his mark. But he entrusts those things to us to be used in his kingdom and in the service of others. So that's in general, the doctrine of vocation. And we see this coming out a couple of different ways in the book of of Genesis and particularly here in Genesis chapter two. And I think there are two main ways that we see this. Number one, he created Adam and he placed him inside the garden to tend and to cultivate that garden. So if we back all the way up to verse 5, again, we have this overview of creation. There was no shrub in the field. There was no plant in the field. Why? Because the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So isn't that interesting that the Lord creates the world, but it needs mankind. It needs someone to care for it, to cultivate it, to nourish it. And one of my favorite things about this particular chapter, Mark, in dealing with the doctrine of vocation is that a lot of times we take a look at work being a bad thing. But what we see here is this is in the perfect world before the fall into sin. And what does God do? He gives Adam work to do in the perfect world. That means work in and of itself is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. God desires us to use the gifts and the abilities that he has given to us in many ways. And so that's that's what I love about this, this chapter is not only with the tending and the nourishing of the creation itself, caring for the creation, but then also with the naming of the animals. And we're gonna we'll get into this in just a little bit when we get into the doctrine of of marriage. But he also brings the animals to Adam. For Adam to name those animals, that's a part of what God has entrusted him, those that responsibility. And this is again a service to the world around him.
0: And I think that's where we see ourselves when it comes to our vocation in life too, is the, the, it, is, it is a tendency in our culture to look at work as a negative thing or to try to find ways out of work or to try to find a job that has the least amount of work with the highest amount of payoff. But you see here in Genesis, that's one of the, way, the, one of the ways that God created mankind was to thrive under work. Not, the, not an oppressive type of work, but it gives a person meaning, it gives them purpose, it gives them fulfillment. And those are things that inwardly we, di- we need as humans. We need those things. And so you see here God already in the beginning in Genesis providing a way for mankind to find fulfillment in that. And to have a better life experience in that way, we might say, but also then as an avenue of helping others to use our work and our time and our talents, as you mentioned, in service of others and to to the glory of God. And so, yeah, we bring in the doctrine of vocation because it's not often thought about in general throughout the Bible, but especially here in Genesis, it's not often considered, but how important that continues to be in our daily lives. Another doctrine that comes out here, perhaps, The more predominant one in Genesis chapter 2 is the doctrine of marriage, where you see at the end of the chapter, God creating woman, creating Eve for Adam. Now, the word marriage does not come up here in Genesis chapter 2. Explain for us why we see this as the institution of marriage by God.
1: A good point, Mark. The, The word marriage is not going to be found here in this chapter In fact, I don't think that you will find the word marriage anywhere in Genesis. Uh, There are a couple of of instances where we have examples of marriage, but I don't know that the word in which we think of today is actually used in the book of Genesis. I'd have to double check on that as we move forward in the other chapters. We can look into that. But the reason that we would see this as the foundation for marriage is because of what Jesus says about this section. So if we move to the New Testament when Jesus was questioned about marriage during his ministry, he referenced these verses very, very specifically. And, and he says, this is the foundation for marriage. So Jesus understood this as being marriage, and he was the one who was there. Uh, he was the word who was instituting marriage from the very beginning. So he will actually quote, for example, just that one example, you might have this cross-reference in your Bibles. But if you look at Matthew chapter 19, we have this account where the Pharisees come to Jesus and we're told in the opening section here that they were coming to Jesus in order to trick him or to test him is what the the Greek word is. And they ask this question. They're trying to put Jesus in a difficult spot and they're asking him particularly a question about divorce. Their question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So there's the question. And they're, again, trying to, trying to get him in trouble. Here's how Jesus responds. This is in verse 4 of chapter 19. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, and then there's quotation marks there, made them male and female, referring to chapter 1, and said... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter two, that is a quotation of the words of Moses recorded in verse 24. Right after the Lord has created Eve, brought her to Adam, Adam then reflects on what this what has taken place here. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then quotes that last verse, therefore this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, there is a little debate in the Hebrew. It's a little bit hard to tell, is verse 24 a quotation of what Adam says? And, and a continuation of that first part, or is it a summary written by Moses? And in the end, it really doesn't make any difference whether it's a quotation of Adam or not, because Jesus tells us that is the foundation for the institution of marriage. And so Jesus says that is true. And and so a very, very important part of this and throughout Jesus's ministry Whenever marriage issues come up in his ministry, he comes back to Genesis chapter 2 as the foundation for his, underst- uh, his, his teaching on marriage because he was the one who gave marriage from the very beginning.
0: Now, what are some of the direct applications that we can take for our lives from Genesis chapter 2 when it comes to marriage? We, we see you mentioned the narrative where God d- d- gives marriage to Adam, even then how Jesus uses that in in the Bible to help us understand finer points about marriage. But just from Genesis chapter two, with the way God describes marriage here, give us some of the points that come out of that, that can really be applied directly to our lives in how we understand it today. Okay. uh,
1: First of all, let's go back to verse 18. And this is the whole reason for, and you remember how I mentioned earlier on that the animals would play a role in all of this? This is a really neat thing in, in what we see here. Verse 18 says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, this is interesting, Mark, because if we back up to the beginning of the chapter, we heard that everything that God created was good. So this is one of those reasons that we know that we're backing up into day six. God created Adam to begin with. And then we're told immediately in chapter one, he created Eve at the same time. But here now, chapter two is giving us a little bit more detail as to how God did this. He creates Adam. He's formed Adam. That's in chapter two, verses seven and eight. And what does he do? He says, it's not good that he should be alone. I will make him a helper. And there's a lot of different translations for this word in the Hebrew, comparable to him, suitable for him, etc. Here's one of those very important teachings about marriage in this verse. Man and woman are they're comparable. We get these ideas in and I'll tell you what. Christianity is blamed for this a lot of times, but they will say that Christianity says that uh, there is this that men are better than women. And that is not at all what the Christian doctrine is on marriage the Lord says from the very beginning that man and woman are, they're comparable, they're suitable for one another. They're equals in the eyes of God. Do they have different roles and responsibilities? Yes. But in God's eyes, they are both equal, just with different responsibilities as they carry those things out in life. So that would be the first of the things. And the way that the Lord brings Adam to realize this is by bringing the animals by and he names the animals. And as he's naming the animals, he sees that each animal has a pair. And he sees when he comes to the end of all of the naming of the animals, he realizes, Hey, there's something that's missing for me. Where's my pair. And so you see that in, in all of these things, look at verse 20, the man gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. And so the Lord God caused the sleep to fall on Adam. So a very, very unique thing in the way that the Lord causes Adam to realize that there was something missing in his life. And it was a it was a companion. It was a spouse. So that would be the first thing. There's a couple of others, but I'll give you a break to cut in here if there's any other thoughts that you want to bring in.
0: Well, I've always built on that point about Adam and Eve, the the helper suitable, as God calls it that in order for that to work man and woman have to be different that's that's what makes them stronger I, I always describe to people like Legos when you have Legos that stick together because they're different the top of the Lego is different than the bottom of the Lego and it makes them stronger if they were just flat plastic blocks you could stack them but they wouldn't connect and so that's what we have to also understand, too, is that there's equality in God's eyes between man and woman. They're both made in his image. The Bible goes on to say that they're both redeemed children of God, but they are given different roles in marriage. And they are different in a biological sense, in, a, in an emotional sense, in a way that God created them. And it's okay to embrace those differences, to understand them Uh and, and see what they are because th- then that allows the man to fill in what the woman cannot do and allows the woman to fill in what the man cannot do. And thereby it makes this united uh, union of marriage even stronger. But when we resist those differences and we, and we want equality to be in all things uh, that will tarnish the strength that is inherently built into marriage the way that God designed it to be and I think we'll see some of that come out in Genesis chapter three when we get into some of the specific uh, curses because of sin uh, but I do think that that's certainly a very valid point about that we see God designing marriage right there he's designing it because there was something lacking there was something more that that the that Eve could fill in for Adam that he didn't have before she was around and and the Lord provided that for him but If Adam could have done that himself, there would have been no point. So the differences highlighted the strength that they would have. Take us into the the second point you were thinking about an application we see about marriage in this section.
1: Well, there's a couple of other things I think that we could develop from this. Some of this, again, goes back to the New Testament. Uh, If you go to there's a neat Hebrew aspect here that comes out, Mark. And I'll just touch on it for a second, but and this, this goes back to the point that we've been talking about. In verse 23, we have Adam saying, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the hebrew these words it's it's a it's a play on words and it like it comes out in english they're related you can see one inside the other ish and isha so you see the same thing where these there's there's a a similarity they are the same kind but as you pointed out with different different gifts and different abilities that fit into the plan that god has for man and woman especially in the marriage relationship uh, so that that reinforces that as well. Another thing that reinforces it is the way in which God created Eve. When he put Adam to sleep, He takes from his rib. Now that's an interesting thing. He doesn't He doesn't choose from his head or he doesn't choose from his foot, you know, which might symbolize either headship in the sense of domineering and control, But from the side, demonstrating this equality once again between the man and the woman. And so again while we have different roles and responsibilities for a purpose different gifts that God has given there's throughout this section we see the equality between Adam and Eve. So yes, differences and that's kind of a hard thing for us to to wrestle with. They're different and yet they're equal. And what what you were saying is that what, what happens in our in our time is that we want to have We want to have equality be different. We want everything to be the same. And that's not the way that God has designed it. And when we try to mess with what God has designed, we end up with big problems. So instead of of, uh, being thankful for the differences in the ways that God has, the differences that God has created men and women to be and embracing those differences, but realizing that there's equality, you know, we want to remove those differences And, and we have a lot of hardship as a result. The last thing then would be in verse 24 for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And this is really the point that Jesus makes in the new Testament. Remember that in the new Testament, the question that Jesus was asking was regarding divorce and the way that, that I have defined marriage in catechism class and, and different, um, you know, marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling is one man and one woman. So we realize Ish and Isha, they're different. And as you pointed out with the Legos, they're they're made to be different for a reason. And that's a good thing. Uh, one man and one woman, not one man and many women, you know, so we call polygamy, but also not just the fact that you have one man and one woman, but for how long? And in our world today, we say, well, you know, we can be married for a year or a little bit longer. And that was the question that the Pharisees were bringing. Can I divorce my wife for any reason? And the Lord says, from the beginning, that was not the plan. Moses granted a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. But that wasn't what God had designed. And and so for a cause, this cause, because woman was brought out of man, the man shall leave his father and mother shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So one man, one woman for life. That is God's intent in marriage. And we mess that up in a lot of ways as human beings uh, by saying two men, two women, one man, more women, one man, one woman for a short period of time, whatever that time might be. But God's intent has always been to make to, to use those differences between men and women and to make that union a stronger union and for companionship, for the bearing of children, which we talked about just briefly in chapter one and we'll come up again in chapter three. And, and then also for that, that joy and that sexual happiness that God gives through marriage and through that marriage relationship as well. So we get a lot of this here in this, this opening chapter, well, the second chapter, the second part of the, the first chapter as we get into the creation account.
0: Thanks for the explanation there. I think definitely some excellent points about marriage that we see there. And it's not a long chapter, 25 verses here in chapter two, but what wonderful treasures we can gain by just reviewing these things uh, in our lives you know if you think if you're if you're uh, an adult who's married now uh, go back to Genesis chapter 2 from time to time and just review what the Lord says about marriage here sometimes things are so simple at times that we neglect doing them and you can certainly gain a lot of valuable insight and God promises to bless us uh, through the Holy Spirit when we do use his word in that way So I think what we've seen here in chapter two is is God building off of chapter one, an extension of chapter one in some ways where we see more detail given about the creation of mankind, but then some also unique and new details that God provides us about that relationship. I think we'll see the same as we move into chapter three next time we'll see that God builds off of chapter two. We'll see some additional points about the, the content matter in chapter two, but then we'll also see God bringing in some new things as well. And, and I think that Genesis one, two, and three really are almost a volume in and of themselves that kind of fit together in many ways. So next time we'll be considering chapter three, Uh, We'll see again some of those connections with what we've discussed today, but we'll also hopefully gain some new insights and be able to summarize the first three chapters of Genesis in some way, as we've seen uh, what God has delivered to us through those accounts. Many, many very important and valuable details. Uh, thank you for the the insights today, Nathaniel, for, for sharing that with us and leading us along in our study. Thank you to our listeners for continuing to follow this study as we trace our way through the book of Genesis. Be sure to stay tuned for our next <clears throat> podcast, which will be on chapter three. And continue to check in at Burden and Blessing on our podcast to see what we offer on a weekly basis. We have uh, podcasts of of a great variety, and, and hopefully they're helpful and valuable to your faith. So thank you for listening today, and be sure to join us again next time. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's
1: promise that He will always be with you, even to the end of the world.